We're, we're going to jump into to our message for today. Uh, last week we started a new series called Pop Scriptures. Uh, we're looking at popular scriptures. I know, s- s- wildly creative title. I, I, I really stayed up all night for this one. Um, but but the, the reason behind this, this series is, you know, that it's very easy for us to... Um, lose kind of the importance of things that we see regularly, right? It, it, we lose appreciation for them. Um, they just kind of become, we kind of gloss over them. And, and we never want that to be true of scripture, especially these, these kind of pop verses because they're popular for a reason, because they say they have a lot to say. They have a lot of power in them. They, they, they represent and they teach us some very important, significant truths uh, about, about God and about our lives. Um, so we want to make sure that they are always impacting us the way that, that, uh, that God really wants them to. And, and so that's why we're, we're, we're doing in this, this series is taking a, a deeper look, another look at some of these verses that, that have become so, uh, at times, you know, we become, there, there's a commercial out there uh, for, I think it's like a Glade plug-in or whatever. It talks about being nose blind. You know, and you've all experienced this where there's certain smells, you're in an area and, and eventually you stop smelling whatever it is, that thing, and then somebody else comes in there like, oh man, what is that? This can happen in, in, our, in our understanding of scripture. And so um, we, we, this week we're, we're going to look at a verse. It's one of the most, I think, encouraging verses in scripture. Um, and because of that, we, we, we see this verse a lot, in, even in, in popular culture. Um, every, I think every Christian t-shirt and apparel company has at least one product with this verse written on it. Um, there are, you can find right now on, on Google, and in a second you can have coming to your door, uh, bumper stickers, home screen wallpapers, uh, you name it. Any paraphernalia you can imagine uh, with, with this scripture on it. Hobby Lobby, I think, has an aisle um, of different things from plaques. You know, and they have it on every piece of material from shiplap to glass that you, that you can imagine. Um, you can even find it on the sneakers of countless athletes. Um, uh, including, and probably most famously, Steph Curry. Um, if, you, if you're a basketball fan, you know, four-time NBA champ, two-time MVP, has this verse written on, on the sides of his shoes. It's a short verse, but it, it makes a bold statement, and it's a good verse, and so we're going to look at it today, and you may know, already know where we're going. It's chapter uh, Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Great verse, great verse. Raise your hand, just, I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you've ever owned something with that verse on it. Yeah, <laughs> good number of us, right? A shirt, a wristband, a plaque. Um, you know, this passage has the, the potential to be just a powerful source of strength and encouragement for us as long as we overcome this this, these obstacles that, that, that can make us blind to the truth and the richness of the verse. And there's two kind of obstacles, I think, that, that tend to do that. And the first one is, I made up a word because I, I like to do that, the Sunday schoolification <laughs> of a verse of Scripture. What do I mean by that? The Sunday schoolification. It's, it's uh, 
Sometimes when we learn something from a very early age or we, we hear it over and over again, we, 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 we somehow gets lumped into this childish kind of mentality. This happens a lot, I feel like, especially when we're talking about uh, our spiritual lives, that just because we learned it when it was young, we somehow think it's a, it's a thing for kids. And that's, that's not true of Scripture. Scripture is alive and active, and it, 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 it's a foundational truth. How I many you know it, when we're, foundations always matter? Right, you've got to you've got to you build a house. If you build a you know a slab house, it's a, you have to start with the foundation. You have to start with the concrete, right? That slab, so everything else can can be plumb and straight and struck and 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 secure. And you may it's easy to never really think or pay much attention to that foundation anymore. But how many know? There's never a day in the existence of that house that the foundation isn't just as important as the day it was laid, right? This is the same thing with, with, with Scripture. And sometimes the, we, we, it's easy for us to kind of categorize certain things that we've known a long time. We take it for granted. And so we don't want to do that. And the second thing that, that is an obstacle to, to this Scripture and, and Scripture in general is, is misunderstanding. We, we misunderstand what the verse is trying to teach us, the truth that is contained within it. And... When we do that, um, a couple of bad things can happen. One, um, we can, when we misunderstand what a scripture is saying, and then we go to apply it, sometimes we, get a, we can get a perspective that, that the verse on some level isn't really true. And the problem isn't that our, the verse isn't true. The problem is we misunderstand what the truth is. <laughs> And that's a, that's a crucial, crucial, crucial thing in our lives that we need to, to avoid. So misunderstanding a verse um, and how it applies to our life is, is another big obstacle we want to avoid. So how do we do this? Well, the kind of three, I think, three suggestions I would give us um, when, when dealing with this scripture or any, uh, how to avoid these obstacles. Uh, the first one is meditate on it. Meditate on it. This is um, the word meditation, you know, means has different connotations to different people. Uh, it's been co-opted uh, by, by some new nouveau spirituality realms, right? Where um, some new age philosophy uses this terminology. Some Eastern religions use this terminology. And, and sadly, um, because of that, within... The Christian realms, there has been almost like a, a, a bit of a fear that has grown around this concept, this idea, right? That, that if I'm meditating, oh, am I, am I moving into, am I being new age? Am I moving into a new, a, a new, you know, something that's maybe not safe? And I, I would say this. They're using the word, but they're not doing the same thing. Does that make sense? Uh, just because you use a word and I use a word doesn't mean we mean the same thing by that word. When we say meditate, it is meditation is a, is a biblical word, okay? It, it, it predates everybody else's using it. So don't feel free, don't feel, feel encumbered or worried about using or practicing meditation. It was ours first. If anything, tell them to put their hands off it. Um, 
But we, we mean different things by it. When, when, when biblical meditation is, it's actually, it's actually a picture, it's a word picture of, of cows eating. You may, you may be familiar with this understanding of it. You know, when a cow eats, they have multiple stomachs. I know, it's gross. Um, and the way they digest is they eat something, they chew it up, and they swallow it. And then they regurgitate it, and they chew it some more, and they swallow it, and it goes into another stomach. Over and over and over again. That's the digestive process of a cow. That's the word where we get meditate. It means, to, it means to, to chew on something and then rest and then chew on it again and then rest. See, Christian med, biblical meditation is all about focused um, intention on something, on truth, on the, the word of God, on the person of Jesus. Whereas... Um, in, in you know, a more new age philosophy uh, or some Eastern religions, the goal of, med- when they're talking about meditation, typically they're talking about the goal is to empty your mind, right? To make, to make space so that somehow truth can um, kind of fill the void, if you will. That, that doesn't work. Um, that, that's one, I, <laughs> I don't know if anybody can actually think of nothing. Um, we're just not really built that way. And, and two, uh, Truth is not something that happens by accident. It's not a, it doesn't just fill vacuums. It's something that has to be pursued. Um, and and so, so meditation is the first one. Um, thinking about it over and over again. Studying, looking at the context, talking about this thing with, with, with your friends and with, with other people that, that share, share like beliefs that you can learn and, and challenge each other. These are all good ways of, of meditating on Scripture. So that's the first one. Second one is we, we track it and evaluate it. Um, any truth, it, one of the best ways that we can, we can avoid uh, these obstacles and misunderstanding and, and, and things not seeming applicable to our lives is by intentionally seeing if it applies. Right, tracking this truth is this truth um, happening in my life? Where do I see this truth play out? And how, what happens when I, if I, if I were to apply this truth, this verse to this situation? What would it look like? And then sometimes, you know, especially if it's something that we're really kind of struggling with, you know, if we have a, a, a kind of a faith issue with it. Evaluate it, track it, and, and evaluate what happens after it. Just treat it like an. Sometimes I think it's it's valuable. Treat it like an experiment, right? Like God, I know God said this about this thing, and I'm really struggling to fully believe it. And sometimes we're like we're like if we're not a hundred percent, you know, confident that this is that this is going to work, we don't want to do it. I would say, um, you know. If you're 60% confident, just fine. Call it an experiment and do it anyway. God is big and he, he, he loves us and he, the, the act itself is an act of faith. It, your confidence in the outcome um, doesn't have to be there for it to be an act of faith. Does that make sense? Because God cares more about our, our obedience than he does our confidence. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he builds our confidence through obedience. So we want to, we can track and evaluate 
these scriptures in our lives. And and when we, as we do that, they will become more and more applicable. They will become more and more lifing to us. And then the third thing is, is also obvious. Ask God. Invite God into the scripture. Say, God, I'm reading this. I, I, I believe it or I want to believe it. Would you please show me? Would you please, by your Holy Spirit, make this come alive in me? Because it is only by, by it is his truth and it is only by his spirit is anything real and alive and active in us. And, and sometimes, we, sometimes we, we, we read scriptures and we want to, to do all the things we know we're supposed to do with them, believe them and, and live them out. And we, we try and cut, we try or sometimes unintentionally cut God out of the process, right? We want to do it for him. And God's going, that's not the way this works. The whole point of this is relationship. The whole point of this is that we do this together because there is no you doing it apart from me. So we ask God for for, for its truth to be made manifest in us. We give him that that permission because God God is a gentleman. He, 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 He will wait for us to allow him to do the good work in us that that he wants us to do. Um, That being said, let's let's do that now. Let's pray and then we'll get into our our study for today. Jesus, we, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for scripture. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We ask that you would, you would speak through your word to our hearts today. God, that you would um, kindle in us, rekindle in us a, a passion for, for your word, for, for this word. Um, that it would be life-giving and challenging and, and, and bring healing and wholeness to us all this morning. Amen. Amen. So, we're, we're, so that's how we're going to avoid. So that's what we're going to, that's basically, that's what Sunday morning is, right? That's what a, a message, a sermon, a Bible study is. It's, it's meditation. It's doing the things that help us avoid the Sunday schoolification and misunderstanding verses. That's why we're here. Um, and and the, some of the elements to, to understanding, uh, I, I like to say it like, like this. If you want to understand a, a scripture, it's true most pretty much anything you're, you're reading or studying. Um, there's kind of three, the way I like to look at it, there's three elements that you really have to address when you're doing it. And that's the black on the page, the white on the page, and the eyes on the page. Okay, the black on the, what's the black on the page? The black on the page is the letters, right? The grammar, what the, the, the actual sentence structure, the, the rules of, of, of grammar, the definitions of the words, all of these things, right? And, we, and I think we all pretty much get that. That's, that's kind of the, probably the most obvious of the three. But it's something we really have to pay, pay attention to. Um, so it's the black on the page. We have to understand all of those things. We have to understand what the definition of, of this word, what it really means, and not just what we think it means. Um, and then there's the white on the page. What is, well, to me, the white on the page, it represents, because the white on the page is what the black on the page sits on, right? So you have all of, you have this language that's written down, this grammar, these words, but they are written to and set in a context, right? So you have this, this idea of, of you have the grammar and what's being said, but you also have the context of the, who were the people that said it? What was their culture like? Why were they saying it? There's, there's a, a compilation of words. One of the, one of the things uh, that I find I, I 
I find most fascinating scripture and also most frustrating in scripture is that uh, much, especially the New Testament, was written in, in called Koine Greek, right? So like everyday language. And how many know everyday language, when you're talking with your friends, when you're, when you're conversing, um, just, you know, you're not giving a speech or, or writing some official report, it, your language changes. And one of the biggest ways, the most common ways it changes is we use a lot of culture to communicate, right? We, we quote movie, uh, movies, movie lines, we, we quote lyrics, we use slang terms, right? All these things. The, the, the Bible is full of these things. And, and it's important that that would be a part of the white on the page. They use, we use current events. We're always referring to this or that thing that just happened. And if you, if you just have the black on the page and, and never understand or look at the white on the page, you can really misunderstand what's being said, right? Or because, how many know, like, a song lyric or a poem is probably not going to give you a super accurate uh, understanding of, of, like, anatomy, right? <laughs> like, uh, when we're singing, if, if there's a song lyric about, about someone's heart and, and, and all this, and you try and read that as if it's a, it's an, a, a book of biology, you're going to go, that guy's nuts, right? Your heart doesn't break. That's not the way it works just because someone said something mean to you. Well, no, that's not what he's trying to say. That sounds silly, but sometimes we can, when we approach Scripture, if we don't understand, if we don't have an appreciation for the white on the page, we can miss it. Um, and, and, and much of the skepticism or the cynicism or the cr cr criticism that Scripture gets is this. It's people largely looking for, looking for holes <laughs> and pointing to these kinds of things. Pointing to, to, without context, taking just the black on the page and ignoring the white on the page and going, see, that doesn't make sense. So white on the page is, is super important. And then the third key to, to understanding is, is the eyes on the page. What's that? Well, that's you. It's me. Everything we look at, everything we understand, we understand through our lens, through our experiences, through our, our prejudices, through our preconceived ideas, through our preferences. And we have to understand that that is, that that is a part of this process. And that's partly why God calls us to pursue him and understand him together. Because we all have blinders. We all have prejudices. We all have, sorry to break it to you, you have prejudices. Uh, you, we all have, have misunderstandings. We all have, have parts to the piece of the whole, but not the whole. And so we have to understand that and, and acknowledge that it's there is the first step. You know, they, they, say in, what is it, they say in AA, you know, the first step is admitting you have a problem. We have to understand that if we're going to pursue truth, if we're going to let it be the living, powerful thing in our lives, we have to understand that, there is, that, that our eyes and our understanding of it is not the whole totality of what it is. It's bigger, it's better, it's more than what we understand. All right? All right. 
So that's the elements of understanding. Now we're, we're going to kind of narrow down. Um, we're going to start kind of big and, and we're going to work our way down to, to our verse for the day. But, but again, we're going to start with the white on the page because that helps make the black on the page pop, right? It, 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 so it, I find it, for me personally, helpful to start with, with the context. And so let's just talk about that for a few minutes before we get into our actual text for the day. And that's, um, we find our verse in Philippians. Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Uh, Paul was the one who planted this church. He started this church. He spent a significant amount of time here. He knew these people. He loved these people. He had real relationships with, the, with these people. Um, Philippi was um, one of the few churches that Paul received uh, support, financial support from. Um, which, is, which is a big part of, of this letter. One of the primary reasons Paul wrote it was to thank them for, for their, their financial support. Um, Paul, was, Paul was, was not your typical, not your typical uh, uh, um, itinerant preacher. There were many places that Paul went that Paul would not allow them to give him money. Um, <laughs> I know that sounds... sounds uh, interesting, um, but there were there were times where, for their benefit and for the 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 gospel to go forward, he he felt or was was led by the Holy Spirit to refuse to let the per, that church or that um, that city support his efforts because he didn't want anything um, hindering or or creating you know some some barriers to them receiving the gospel. From him, but Philippi was not one of these cities, which says that there was a, a level, there was a deeper level of relationship there. That he he could, there was a, a, a love and a trust there that he was willing to, to receive um, support from them. Uh, let's see, this uh, found in this letter, Paul's letter to the church. Okay, uh, is written towards the end of his ministry. So this is this is in the last maybe decade of Paul's life. Um, and so we, we have the, some of the most more mature, we have the mature Paul writing here, right? He's been in ministry for a long time. Um, he, persecution of the, of the Christians is ramping up. We're looking at the, you know, late, uh, maybe, maybe mid-60s AD. Um, and so uh, persecution of the Christians is really starting to, to, to grow and, and, and thrive, if you want to use that word. And Paul is, Paul is writing from jail. This is one of the uh, one of the what they call prison epistles, aptly named because he was in the big house when he wrote them. Um, he's in Rome, um, and and the interesting thing about prisons at that time and, and why the the need for support was it, it's not like the prison systems here, where uh, you know here when there's plenty to say about the prison systems here, but but there is at least a um, here there's at least a, a an assumed obligation on behalf of, of the state to uh, provide minimal, uh, you know, reasonable life-sustaining things, right? You got to give a, a, place to, a place to stay and food to eat. This was not the, the case in the Roman penal system. In the Roman penal system, it was up to your friends and your family, if you had them, to feed you. 
and to clothe you. And the, Ro the Roman government really didn't take a whole lot of interest in that. And so if, if you were... Um, if you were in jail or in prison and you had no one, there was, the, you, there was a real chance you could die just from lack of, lack of food, lack of support. Um, and, and so that's where, where Paul finds himself. Um, so Philippi sends support, sends money to help, help Paul. And not only does he send money, he sends, they send uh, help. They send a guy named Epaphroditus who brings the gift and then also stays to help Paul because obviously he's in prison or, or house arrest. We're not 100% sure where or exactly he was at at this point. Um, but he, he wasn't allowed to go anywhere, right? He's not running out to the market for eggs and extra quills or whatever they use to write with. Um, you know, so Epaphroditus was there to, to be a, a help for him. Unfortunately, sometime after he gets there, Epaphroditus gets really, really sick. And almost, we learn in the letter, almost to the where he almost dies. And, and then the church, the church of Philippi hears about this and they're all, they're all concerned, rightfully so. And so Paul's in jail and his help is sick. Um, it's not the best, you know, it's not the, the, you know, the best of times, it was the worst of times. This is really skewing towards the worst of times um, for, for, for Paul here, right? Uh, and at the time of his writing this letter, he, he didn't know what the outcome was. He didn't know if he was, was getting out or if, he was, uh, or if he was going to you know, be freed, if he was going to spend the time in jail, if he was going to get executed. He didn't know. This, they, they presume he probably wrote this, well, we would understand it, between, like he had been arrested, but not, not the, like hadn't had his trial trial yet, like whether he was convicted or not. Um, so he didn't know what was gonna, what was gonna happen. And so while he's there, he writes th this letter that we find our, our scripture in today, this letter to the, Ephesia, or the Philippians. And he writes it for a few reasons. The first one is to express gratitude as we talked about for their, for their support. Um, he also tries to, to in, throughout this letter, to promote the restoration of a rift that was forming between some key leaders in the church there in Philippi. There's a, a, a couple of leaders uh, um, that, that we don't know what the, what the exact situation is, but there were two women there that, that were having some major struggle connecting or, or, or relating or were in some sort of argument and it was, it was causing division amongst the church. And so one of the reasons Paul writes is to help try and mend that. These were people that he had poured his life in, these leaders, that he knew personally, that he calls them you know, his co-workers. Um, and then the, the, the third reason that, that he writes this letter is to encourage the church in the face of this this. Persecution that's coming from the outside, from Rome. You've got this division, these, these arguments that are popping up from within the church itself. And then their founding father, the guy who, who started this church, is now sitting in a Roman jail awaiting to find out if he's going to be executed or not. So he writes this letter to, to encourage them amidst all of these issues. And he does this by not only just writing them, hey, here's what you should do and here's how you should feel, but he does it through explaining to them how, how um, he can, they can look to him as a model for how to deal with these sort of situations because he's dealing with 
at least as bad a situation as they are, if not, if not worse, right? So, so now armed with all that perspective, I know that was a, a long way around the house, but um, it's important. Uh, armed with all that perspective, now we can turn to, to Philippians, um, and we're going to start in verse 8. Um, and and re really look at this passage in that context now that we, we've got kind of our white on the page. Um, Philippians 4, starting in verse 8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. And I think that, 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 that phrase really stood out to me. You know, can you imagine Paul writing that? One final thing. Knowing like, that that might be a very literal statement. Like this may be the last time I ever communicate with these people. This may be the last time I ever write anything to anyone. Because he, I mean, for all he knew, they were, the, you know, any moment someone could knock on the door and say, hey, come with me. Um, no, it's fine. You, you, you won't be needing that where you're going. Let's go. Um, it could have happened. And so, so this, the, I don't know, this opening statement really was poignant to me. One final thing. So this is, the, this is maybe the last thing he's ever going to write, very possibly the last thing he's ever going to tell these people. Um, and so to me, that, that ups the level of attention we should pay to it, right? If it's the last thing that one of the greatest theologians in the history of the world, one of the, one of the people that, that knew um, what it meant to, to live kingdom life better than maybe anybody else. The last thing they were going to say to some of the people that he loved the most in his life, I would think that that, that should help us understand that this is, this is a passage that we really should pay attention to. So he goes on, he says, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the peace of God will be with you. And here we come to, to the passage with our, our kind of our, our popular verse. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. That's quite, quite a verse. Not that I was ever in need. He's sitting in a jail. This is a guy who's been beaten, left for dead multiple times. Right? On and on and on the list of all the things that, that Paul's life endured. Not that he was, but to his mind, he was never in need. For I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And I think that's such a, a, a great encouraging statement for us. Because he's saying that, that we... He's saying that this is, this is a possibility in God. To know how to be content and to live with everything or nothing. Sometimes we can fall off the wagon in our mentality in one, one way or the other. Like, you know, there's different lines of, of, of kind of, I want to say doctrine, but maybe church personality. Um, that kind of gravitates towards one or the other of these, I, I think, you know. 
yeah, everybody can, you know, it doesn't really matter. You can go to heaven either way. But, if you, but in the back of our mind, we don't actually say it. Sometimes it's like, but if you really love Jesus, you know, you won't have a lot of money. You'll give it all away. You know, you, or if you really love Jesus and Jesus really loves you, then you will have a lot of money and you will have a lot. Paul's saying here that he's never in need. He's learned how to be content and how to live, how to live well, how to live God-honoring life with either nothing or everything. And he's gonna, and he, in this passage, he's sharing the how. He says, I know the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, and here we come to our kind of resolution verse. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It's good. What an encouraging word. But in light of all that, does that, you don't have to answer out loud, but just in your mind, does that change at all the picture, the timber, or the, your understanding of what, what that verse is trying to communicate to us? Paul is saying that the secret to life is not, is not in focusing on changing your situation. The key is to focus all on all Jesus and every little thing in life that looks like him. That's the secret to life. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Think about, think about God in anything and look around your life for everything that reflects who he is. This is the secret to life, he's saying. And as we do this, God's peace will be with you. And if God's peace is, peace is with you, the situations you are in lose their power to control you. You can say it this way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't a promise that you can receive any, anything you want from this world. It's not what it's saying. It's a promise that nothing in this world can stop you from receiving anything from his kingdom. Now, there's some tension there that we, we, we could struggle with because we really want this, if we're being honest on some level, there's a big part of us that probably wishes it was the other way. That like, I, you know, if I, just, if I just believe enough and believe right and have enough faith and do the right things, then anything I want, God will provide. And that is, that's, that's not what he's saying. And I understand the desire, I have the desire with myself to wish that that was true. But the reality is this way is a better truth. What God is offering here is better than our yeah, selfish, worldly perspective, our, our, our kind of finite understanding of, of this. That he is, he's saying it doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter your situation. That there's nothing that can happen that can separate you from access to the kingdom and all of its riches for your life. And that's where the good stuff really is. That's where the important stuff really is. And understanding this verse, um, it, it doesn't mean that we have any less reason to expect for, pray for, hope for, or trust that God has good plans and great provision for our life. That is not, that is not the opposite of this verse. This verse is in no way um, 
saying that that is not true or not, uh, not the right perspective of our life. Um, it's just, th- this ain't that verse. <laughs> There's plenty of those verses out there. I want to I encourage you that God is a generous God. God does give abundantly. He owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills and he is a good father and he is happy to give all those cattle to you. Like he, he is, he is a, a person, he is a God who wants to bless us Bless our socks off. That, that is absolutely true. And we should expect abundance. But this verse is saying something additional. This verse is saying something else. This verse is saying something more. That in addition to all his generosity and gifts, even in the worst of times, when life doesn't go our way, we can, we can be faithful. We can still have his comfort, his strength, his peace. We can still overcome and walk through every situation with the mind of God, in the character of God, with the, the, the uh, security of God. Paul says it uh, uh, in this way in another letter. And when he's talking to the church at Corinth, he says, um, we now have this light shining in our hearts but we ourselves are like fragile jars of clay containing this great treasure. And this makes it clear that our, our great power is from God, not from ourselves. He says, we're, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not given to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. The good news of Philippians 4 is that our circumstances can't affect our actual situation. It, uh, it, it, doesn't matter. it doesn't matter if you're in the funeral home or standing at your counter with, 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 with a bill and, and looking at a bill and a checkbook and numbers that don't add up. That doesn't change your situation because your situation is found in Christ. And that regardless of the circumstance, your situation can always be peace. Your situation can always be hope. Your, your reaction can always be loving. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. Your job status doesn't have anything to do with how much Jesus loves you. Your grief over that, that loved one can coexist with the joy of the Lord. Your family drama doesn't have to be resolved for you ex- to experience peace. That's the, the truth that, that Paul is trying to, to convey to the Philippines because the other side of it would not have rung true to them and wouldn't have been true. Right? To the, this, this young church that he, he, he's writing to that, you know, uh, you can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens you. That, that verse didn't mean to them that if they, through Christ, they, they could overthrow the Roman Empire and not experience the next whatever it was. 50 years, 60 years of, of, of getting ripped in half and thrown into prisons and fed to lions. That was, that was going to happen. Their, their relationship with Jesus, their faithfulness to him was not going to change that outcome. That circumstance. Paul is telling them in, in Philippians 4, there is a, 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 but that doesn't have to affect your situation. In the face of all that, you serve a God that is so powerful that you can, you can go through those things with peace, with joy, with love. 
and receive the ultimate reward on the other side of it. This is the, the powerful truth of, of Philippians 4. It's, it, it, it's, it's more than just a, a verse that, that, that we can say, uh, you know, to, to pump us up for the big game. <laughs> it's something we can hold on to when we, when, when, and, and can, can fuel us and strengthen us and encourage us when, when the game is over and we lost. Why don't you stand? We're going to close here in just a minute. Um, but before we go, I just want to give us all a, a, a chance to just to meet with God about this. Um, and uh, just have a, just a question. Is, is there an area in your life where you, you, maybe you need a shift. You need the Lord to change your, your perspective, to speak to your heart about, about a, a, a circumstance that you are, um, you are letting dictate your situation. There's something that you, you've been, maybe you've been saying to God, God, when is this thing gonna change? Because it's making me miserable. Or when is this thing going to change so I can stop being so afraid? Like the Lord's saying maybe this morning that, that he wants to change some of our perspectives. Say, stop waiting for the circumstance to change. I can still change your situation. Sitting in your seat right now. And sometimes, in my own life, I would say, a lot of the time... <laughs> That's God is waiting for that. He wants to change your situation before he changes your circumstance. Because he cares more about your development and your relationship with him most of the time than he does with, with, with that thing changing, that event changing, that, that, you know, that bank account or that, that, that job situation. Because that's all the easy stuff for him, right? Like, you know, I, I look at this building where we're sitting. The, the, the funding for this building, the, the, the situation that allows us to be in this beautiful new space right now was the easiest part in the world for the Lord in this whole, whole transformation. The hardest part was him getting our minds and our hearts and our, our wills and everything to line up with, with who he wanted us to be first so that then he could provide. Does that make sense? So what, is, there a situa is there a circumstance in your life that you, you need to just, I'm just going to give you a moment to, to confess to the Lord, say, God, I've been letting the circumstance determine my situation. And I don't want to do that anymore. You can right now, just in your own heart, and your own mind, just offer that, confess that before the Lord. Say, and, and be as specific as you can. You don't have to say it out loud, but just what, what is that circumstance and what, what is that situation that, that you've been waiting on? Is it a family thing? Is it a, a sin issue that you've been waiting to get resolved? Work thing, money thing? God, we present these things to you, these circumstances that we, we, we acknowledge, we, we've been letting determine 
our, our situations. And, and we, we realize, we've, we've seen in your word today how, how that, is, that is not the truth. That you are bigger than our circumstances and that you, you are so great and your kingdom is so powerful that, that you, don't, you work our situations in any circumstance. That your character, your nature, your love that we sang about this morning, your, your peace, your love, your joy, your strength, that, that we have access to that 24-7, 365. And so, Lord, I, I ask by your Holy Spirit, would you, would you fill us? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you open our hearts in those circumstances that we, we've, we're confessing this morning? Would your love pour into those situations? Would your peace pour into those situations? Would your joy be our strength in those situations? God, we, we recognize, we, 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 we believe that you want, you want to change us before you change our circumstance. And so we offer ourselves to you, say, here we are, God, change us, mold us, show us. We believe We receive. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. 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 You guys have a great, great week. Got anybody in Rooted? Don't forget. We start next week. So you have this week to do your Rooted stuff. Your devos, don't forget. Be careful going home. I don't know what it looks like outside, but it doesn't sound good. We'll see ya.